Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. So, uh, because I am not a sadist, I didn't ask Adam to go see Hellboy this past <laughs> weekend. I look forward to watching it on HBO in a year. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's rough. <laughs> um, so instead of talking about that, what we wanted to talk about was Star Wars, because Star Wars Celebration was this past weekend. And a lot of new Star Wars information was made available. So we learned the title of Episode Nine, which is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And we saw the first trailer. And then we also learned about The Mandalorian. And they briefly talked about uh, what is the future of Star Wars you know, post-Episode Nine. So we wanted to dig into all of that. And we'll kick things off talking about Rise of Skywalker. So we saw the trailer. And... To, before we say anything, we both understand this is a trailer. <laughs> like, yes. we're not like, this is the movie. This is what the movie is. Like, it, we're, we're going off the information that we have and speculating based on that information. Obviously, things could change. We could have very different feelings once we see the film itself when it comes out in December. But for now, this is... We all have the same knowledge. Like, if you're listening to this, you have the same knowledge as us as watching the Star Wars trailer. So... That's what we wanted to dig into. Um, I personally was not that wowed by the trailer. I know some people were like lost their minds over it. I was a little, I was, I kind of gave it a bit of a shrug. It, it, uh, I also gave it a bit of a shrug, much to my fiance's chagrin. Uh, We've kind of gotten into some arguments about it, not like serious ones, but she's like, how can you not? be excited by that trailer she's like when she uses the lightsaber thing and she's gonna jump over the thing and i just made that shrug face like "Eh," you know (laughs) like i think i've seen the matrix right and one that's to me is the thing so in terms of like while also acknowledging though that like she is a woman and seeing like this major franchise led by a female character who is the action heroine um I ended up like I am acknowledging that that is that yeah, is also that is a big deal. I would say in terms of imagery, there's really nothing striking in this trailer, like in the way that you got like the red, like dust sand in the Last Jedi trailer. Like there's nothing yeah. that says, "Oh, I've never seen that before." Um, like that that is a new visual style that you're bringing here, and I feel like this trailer relies a lot on nostalgia, which is. J.J. Abrams' bread and butter. Um, that is, you know, you have, and it's not. It's nice to see all the characters together, and you know, that that's all well and good. But you know, there's stuff in there, like even like, can we let's talk a little bit about putting the mask back together and how that really <laughs> bums me out because I've been going on about this for days now. <laughs> <laughs> it's very. It, let's also get out of the way that both of us are massive Last Jedi fans. Yeah, so if you want to stop listening now, we understand. <laughs> and maybe that's maybe that's a part of a gauge. Although my fiance loves the Last Jedi as well, um, but they're very specifically Ryan Johnson like had talked about dismantling the mask in Last Jedi, and he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of silly." Like I think it works in the Force Awakens because the entire idea is that he's masked for the first half of the movie. You know, this Darth Vader esque menacing character, and he takes that mask off, and he's a boy. He's a pretty boy. He, there's nothing unscathed, like no scars, right. nothing It's, wrong it's all image for him. Like Darth yeah. Vader, like, yeah, he's a scary dude, but 
he didn't wear the mask for fashion. He actually did need it to live. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, so I think it, it works in Force Awakens. It totally works in Force Awakens. I'm not anti-mask in general, but when it gets destroyed in Last Jedi, that makes sense because Kylo Ren is angry that he can't be this Vader. Like he feels dejected that he will never be Vader. And his arc in that film is learning that he has to let the entire past go wholesale. Like everything has to go. He can't be Vader. He can't be Luke. He has to burn the entire past to the ground and start anew. And so when I see that mask being put back together, it to me says, I didn't care for this choice, which was a big choice for that character. That character literally says, let the past die, kill it if you have to. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And again, based on a trailer, maybe there's a good reason in the film, but it doesn't make a lot of sense right now why he would put that mask back together to be like Vader 2.0. It doesn't make a lot of sense. What if he's not putting the mask together? What if General Hux is putting the mask together and he's put a shock wire in it to pull a prank (laughs) on Kylo Ren? And he says, Kylo, I fixed your mask. And he puts it on and he shocks and he goes, gotcha. I actually, you know, here's the thing. You're joking. But if I pitched you a show that was like the Donal Gleason Adam Driver comedy hour, we would both watch the hell out of that. <laughs> it's kind of fitting with the there uh, toward the end of The Last Jedi with the, the whole hissy fits and stuff in the inside the yeah. um, creepy crawly thingy. I don't know. What was it? An at at ATAT? Like it was a it was a different kind of ATAT. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, I don't know. Like, again, the, maybe someone else is putting the mask back together. Maybe it's not his mask. I don't know. It's, there's still a lot of questions, but it just bums me out. Like, let the mask go. Like the mask is done. So why are you taking a step back? So that's an issue I have. Yeah. That, that, that also, again, as you said, I think it's, it feels like it's taking a step back. And again, we're judging a trailer, which is a stupid idea. Um, but, Here's the thing. But it's, it's a stupid done. idea, but I feel no compunction over it because I sat through a fucking hour of that panel where no one said a damn thing. Even Stephen yeah. Colbert was annoyed. He was <laughs> like, why would you ask me out here for questions that you can't answer? Yeah. Oh, he said, oh, I see. You didn't, ask, you didn't ask me to come and get answers. You asked me to come and ask questions. Right. Which to me is like the mystery box. It. I get it. Like we're all very wary of spoilers, but at the end of the day, like these are not state secrets. They're just not. (laughs) And at some point, like the fact that you're like, like if we just keep everything shrouded in mystery, like I don't even, I, 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 we have now seen the first trailer for the film. I can't tell you what the central conflict of this movie is. And I bet you, I will not be able to tell you what the central conflict of this movie is until it comes out. But I'm cool with that. Like, I don't want to. I've really loved the marketing for Avengers Endgame because, and I hope that all of these shots are fake because I don't want to know. Like, it's a it's very fine big to not deal. know. But at least in Endgame, I'm like, oh, so they're getting together to to, to take the fight back to Thanos. At least that's it. Like, I can. I, that is that. <laughs> and you don't need to tell me any more than that. Like, give me one sentence. And like, all the 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 rise of Skywalker stuff is like, no, you don't get to know things <laughs> because if you knew things, it would. <laughs> ruin it for you and i'm like not necessarily <laughs> uh it wouldn't ruin it but i i am cool with this and i i mean if this wasn't my job i would probably tap out after that teaser trailer so that i could go in not knowing what the central conflict was not knowing what the story was sure. um 
Because it's fun. I mean, you and I get to do that at TIFF and Sundance every single year, and it's delightful. Like, I went into The Witch sing- thinking I was going to go see kind of a folklore tale, <laughs> and I ended up staring no, at the ground because I was scared to look at the screen. You're right. It is fun to ha- be like that sort of secrecy. But again, to my original point, we're just going to live in speculation town until this movie comes out. So, like, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for speculating when you they've given me very little information to work off of. It's like, maybe you don't know that. Like, well, I don't know that because you didn't tell me. So yeah, I'm going off the information that I have. <laughs> I, I, I do think this teaser trailer was meant not necessarily for the, well, I guess it, it I guess it was a very good teaser trailer because it, it was meant for the new fans. You got a, a lot of Ray, a lot of stuff like that, but it also felt like it was made for the old fans. Cause you got um, Lando flying the millennium Falcon again. You have the metal wearing the same damn clothes you wore forty years ago. <laughs> by the way, they smell so bad. <laughs> you have the Death Star. I think is that thing in the it's ocean. The, yeah, it's the remnants of the Death Star. And what I found really interesting in those uh, interviews after Celebration, um, which were kind of more revealing than the panel itself, J.J. Uh, Abrams talked about the importance of this film as a culmination of the entire saga, episodes one through nine. So, I, I think that. Uh, I mean, I understand. I love The Last Jedi because it stands alone. I love The Last Jedi because it's not uh, focused on the past. Um, I think that we now probably have to come to terms with the fact that Abrams is very much pulling from the well because he's looking at the, at this as the end of the entire Skywalker saga. So it can't just be the end of Rey and Kylo Ren. It has to be the end of Leia. It has to be the end of Luke's legacy. It has to be the end of Han's legacy. Uh, all of that stuff. Um, and that stuff I'm not super crazy about. I don't really care because I was kind of done with it after Return of the Jedi. Well, yeah, that's the problem is like you can't when you're constantly looking backwards, it's hard to move forward. And I get it, like you're trying to do a conclusion. I have mixed feelings about bringing Palpatine back. And again, we don't know how he's back. We just heard his laugh at the end of the the trailer. Um, but oh yeah, I forgot about Palpatine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Palpatine is a big sort of factor there because Palpatine, if you were going to like that is the connective tissue at that point through all the, all the movies um, you could call it, you know, the Palpatine saga at that point. Cause he's, he's mm-hmm. a huge player in the prequels and he's yeah. important in this saga. And I thought we were done with him, um, but he's there uh, in some fashion, who knows? But I will say that I like the idea of tying it. Like it's, it's kind of funny to me that Abrams is like one through nine, we got to bring it all together. And like force awakens, did not want to treat the prequels like they existed. <laughs> there were prequels. Misa thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know I get they're trying to sort of tie everything together and bring an end to this saga. That's all well and good. I also, although I also suspect that this is not really the end of the saga. I would not be surprised if like in twenty years they try to do ten, eleven, and twelve. <laughs> We never learn Ray's mom, but let's let's find out who Ray's daughter is. <gasps> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, is there a big retcon hanging over this thing? Like, you know, obviously the big question, the rise of Skywalker. Is there a Skywalker in this film? Is it Ray? <laughs> that would bum me out. <laughs> I hope not. I hope that it's a mixture of a redemption arc for Kylo Ren, who is the son of Leia Skywalker. Uh, and Han Solo, and uh, just kind of the larger like myth of Skywalker, and because that's where the Last Jedi ended. 
um, with that little boy playing with the action figure, right. hearing that Luke Skywalker came back, and the power of that story, yeah, and how it inspired, uh, you know, the rebellion anew. And I think that's actually not a bad way to cap off, even if it's a little meta. It makes it not little like Star Wars, one of the great modern myths of America's 20th century and 21st century, becomes a story about the power of myth. <laughs> yeah, you know that's not bad. It's not bad. A bad way to to sh- to close it all out. But, you know, we're just sort of in the dark for a while. I mean, I assume we'll see the next trailer eh, probably around the end of summer, September, maybe. Um, yeah. Go, going maybe. going, going by the calendar of previous trailers. Yeah. Because they don't need to. Because it sells itself. Yeah. Although Last Jedi detractors would tell you, no, people are going to boycott it. <laughs> sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> sure they are. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Rise of Skywalker, it... It looks fine. I, I'm more... It's not so much what we've seen or like... I like the characters. I think even if the story is a bit of a letdown, I think J.J. Abrams... I, I've talked a lot of shit about J.J. Abrams in the past few weeks. I will say this about J.J. <laughs> in the past entire decade. Oh, for sure. But especially movies. in the past few weeks. <laughs> I will say this about J.J. Abrams. He's very good with character. Mm-hmm. Like, I think J.J. Abrams has a very good understanding of character. Um, and I think that it'll still be a joy watching Poe and, and Finn and Ray interact with each other. And like, I think he's very good at that. And so that I have confidence in whether he can stick the landing from a narrative perspective is a different question. Um, yeah, we'll and I'm see. also I'm also really curious what Colin Trevorrow's ending was because um, I remember Bobby Moynihan went on uh, I think it was Collider Heroes one, one of our YouTube shows uh, and talked about being at an SNL party with Colin Trevorrow and Daisy Ridley was there uh, and this was when Trevorrow was still uh, directing episode nine and Daisy came up and he said do you want to know the ending and she said yeah he said I'll tell you right now and they went into a corner and Bobby Moynihan watched and he said Daisy really started crying as uh, Colin Trevorrow told her how episode nine would end. And how Ray's story would end, and then he got fired, and that script got tossed out. And JJ came on, and JJ said that you know they consulted George Lucas before he and Chris Terrio started writing the script, so that there is in an, in an alternate universe an entirely different way that this saga ends. And, and the way that it ends is that <laughs> Finn has left tapes instructing <laughs> Ray how to kill her neighbor. <laughs> Book of Henry. Book of Henry, uh, man, <laughs> come on. <laughs> But I'm really curious. I just I just find that so fascinating that it wasn't one filmmaker who, you know, worked through various iterations and then finally landed on how it ends, but that an entirely different filmmaker got his version approved by Kathleen Kennedy uh, and Bob Iger and got to work. And I mean, I'm sure folk, I'm sure once Trevor is doing the, the press rounds for Jurassic World 3, you know, people will ask him what was going to be your ending to yeah. episode nine, whether he'll say whether he can say it or not is up for debate. Yeah, that's true. So we'll see. Um, I do have more faith in J.J. Abrams than I did in Colin Trevorrow. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, so we also – do you have anything else to say about Rise of Skywalker? Uh, just that I'm curious. Yeah. I do I do like the I, – I agree with you that I, that I kind of like the idea that it's an adventure with all these characters together again. Um because we never – I mean even in Force Awakens, they weren't all together. It was Finn and Rey and Han and then you know, Rey got taken um, and then I guess the droids. They're you know, subhuman. But uh, – uh, and then they were all split apart in Last Jedi. Uh, I did kind of like the idea that they're all going on an adventure together, even though it looks like they're not bringing Rose with them. 
That's and that that's a bummer. Yeah. Um, but you know, hey, maybe she's doing an important thing elsewhere. I mean, there has to be. There's always a B plot in these yeah. movies. So yeah. Um. Okay. So we also got. Uh, although the trailer wasn't released online, people in the audience got to see a first look at the Star Wars. Uh, Disney Plus show The Mandalorian, which takes place five year, picks up five years after uh, Return of the Jedi and follows uh, a character played by Pedro Pascal, who's a bounty hunter and gunfighter. And you know, obvious. And the the show also stars Gina Carano and Carl Weathers. Uh, so you're going to be getting a lot of "You have yourself a stew there" jokes from me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I like, I know that like a lot of people have been waiting for a live action Star Wars show for a long time now. Um, and I, I think John Favreau is sort of like the, and Dave Filoni is kind of like showrunners on it. Like, I think that's a smart move. Uh, I also like that there's diversity behind the camera, which we haven't seen in the movies, uh, because you're getting, um, Taika Waititi, Rick Famuyiwa, Famuyiwa, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, Deborah Chow, and Bryce Dallas Howard as directors, um, along with Filoni. And I think that it's going to be, it's kind of what I, in a weird way, it's kind of what I want from Star Wars. Like, although, like, first off, I'm glad it's not the Boba Fett show, even though Boba Fett was a Mandalorian, (laughs) it's a different thing. Like, I want, I want new characters going on new adventures. That to me is one of the biggest hurdles that they've they've sort of have yet to clear with these Star Wars movies, which is that everything has to tie back to something you've seen and it makes the world a little smaller. So like even when you get a really good idea like Rogue One, at the end of the day it's like, yeah, but hey, look, Darth Vader's here. <laughs> look, a cartoon version of of, of uh, Grand Moff Tarkin is here. Like the stuff that just like it it makes everything it it feels like Star Wars is afraid to branch out from what people know. And the Mandalorian seems like a step into the unknown in a way that is at least interesting. Like I would much rather see a Mandalorian show than an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. I would agree with that. Um, Although watching the panel for the Mandalorian, I have a feeling the show is not going to be for me and that's fine for me. Um, but it very much seems like a show that's made for the lifelong Star Wars fans, the diehards. There were a lot of references to stuff from lore. Favreau specifically shouted out the EU and bringing in stuff from the EU um, for this new show. Um, and I myself, like, I watched and loved Star Wars as a kid, really enjoyed it. But I watched and loved Star Wars the way that I watched and loved Back to the Future and watched and loved Jaws. Um, more as movies and not as, uh, like, pieces of uh, myth or lore that I kind of got lost in. I was never really seeking out like the extras and stuff. Um, I played one of the video games that was on original Xbox where you got to wield a lightsaber. Which one was that? There's there's way more than one. The correct correct answer is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which is the best Star Wars game. Yeah, I don't think that's the one I played. That's a shame. (laughs) Okay. Um, And you got to shoot or uh, slice down those droids. But... In any event, um, I'm just not really like a lifelong, like hardcore Star Wars nerd. I will always watch and enjoy them. Um, but it feels like this show is made for, for those. And I think that's great. I think, um, you know, that's something that the movies can't do because the movies are so expensive um, and are 
being looked at by Disney shareholders to expand the brand and uh, make the franchise more long-term. Whereas in the show, even though it's new characters, it feels like there are going to be a lot of references towards events um, that have been brought in and kind of all the lore and stuff since then. Which is fine. I mean, again, like, I mean, I I doubt the show is going to be like, if you didn't read this novel from 1992, you're yeah. going to be lost. Yeah. But I just think it, it the feeling I got from Favreau and Filoni is that, like, understanding that is how you really love this show. Like, it's like they, I think they are operating under the understanding that people do understand that and, and go in and see it and like, oh, yeah, that was so cool because I know that during the Clone Wars, this thing happened. Right. So. Yeah. But maybe not. I mean. But I would also say that Disney Plus is going to be the perfect opportunity for like folks like me who have always wanted to give Clone Wars a shot or Rebels a shot to be like, oh, look, here's an ad free way to catch up on these animated series. Yeah. And like give them give them a go. So yeah. I'm I'm actually excited to sort of see that all come together. That's true. That's true. Um I like the cast. I love that Pedro Pascal is the lead. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot that's promising with the Mandalorian. Um we'll just have to see how it all comes together. But I think as far as your first live action Star Wars show, I think it's a smart move. Yeah. The director lineup is insanely great. Well, and let's talk about directors for a second, because this is kind of leads <laughs> us to the next point about the where the movies are headed, which is that, like, on the one hand, like, it's very cool that Kathleen Kennedy, who's like one of the all time, like, greatest producers, like she, she made your childhood magical. Um, she is like the overseer of Lucasfilm. That's very cool. It still bums me out that so far every Star Wars movie is like, we got to get a white dude. <laughs> the only yeah. people who can make Star Wars movies are white dudes. White dudes, get them in here, make some Star Wars. And it's like, there are other people who like Star Wars in the world. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and I know that like from, from her perspective, it wasn't like they're white dudes. It's more that they have made things that are hugely successful. And because of that, it's very comforting to the higher ups to be like, oh, of course, the guys who made Game of Thrones. Like, that's a very easy sell. And the problem is, and so like Star Wars is not the cause of this problem. It's the end result of it. But nevertheless, it does perpetuate the problem that uh, female filmmakers and filmmakers of color do not get this opportunity to tell stories in the Star Wars universe on that scale. Yeah. Well, and in the same interview where Kathleen Kennedy revealed that Ryan Johnson is, or or rather uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, are going to be working closely with Ryan Johnson on the future of Star Wars. Um, she did say that it was important to her to hire more women filmmaker, filmmakers, that the future of Lucasfilm will, will be diverse. And I don't think it's been confirmed. I don't think Benioff and Weiss are planning to direct any of their Star Wars movies, as far as we know. Um, they're just writing and Ryan Johnson is writing and directing the first installment of his trilogy, uh, writing the others, but remains to be seen if he will direct the others. Um, and he very possibly could not end up directing, um, the first episode of his trilogy. I mean, his stated goal was to go off into a different galaxy, a different setting and create a trilogy with new characters, new stories that we've never seen before. Which I think is the smart way to go again. I think, you know, people, and I think Lucasfilm has finally figured it out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think, honestly, long-term, solo tanking at the box office is one of the best things that's going to happen to Star Wars. Yeah. Because it's a short-term, you know, misstep 
that yields long-term. Like if Solo had been a hit, you definitely would be getting a Boba Fett movie. You'd definitely be getting an Obi-Wan movie. You'd de- like, they'd be like, well, people love these spinoffs. Got to spin off all, you got to get your Yoda movie. And like what audiences said is like, no, nah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't yeah. care what these people were up to off screen in the time I didn't see them. Like, I don't need to know how Han Solo got his last name. That has never been a question that kept me up at night. Yeah, I mean, the box office is telling. I mean, you say bombed, uh, and I can hear people countering, well, 392 million worldwide is not a bomb. And it's it a is bomb in relation- by Star Wars metrics. <laughs> That's it. It is it is in relation to Star Wars. Every single other Star Wars movie has crossed a billion dollars, including Rogue One, which had you know fewer stars, characters that no one knew. And then here comes Solo, arguably the most famous character in all of Star Wars, um, as the lead of a new movie. And people were like, eh, no thanks. Um, and like, and also like, it's not like Star, like that movie got buried. They put it like on the Memorial Day weekend. Like it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. On the contrary, they rushed it out after Last Jedi, which they should have waited until December when people were like, uh, I guess I could watch another Star Wars movie now. As opposed to like, I just saw one and we're still talking about them and arguing about Last Jedi online. Yeah. Solo was kind of botched at every step. But yeah. that being said, if people had been super eager to be like, I want to know more about this character, you'd be getting more of those kind of movies. And I think that it's smart to be like, let's create new. The star of Star Wars is not any single character. It's the world of Star Wars. Yeah. And that's what people want. And that's what that's a smarter thing to bank on, especially because it gives you the the ability to create new characters and new things to sell and new stories to tell. And that way you're not getting bogged down and like, did they do right by Obi-Wan? Like, who cares? You know, (laughs) I mean, like, it's fun. Like, I mean, whatever you don't, you don't have to like deal with that burden. Just go off and tell a new story in the star Wars world. What, what more is there to learn about Obi-Wan Kenobi at this point? I needed to know what he was doing in the desert between (laughs) dropping off between let me let me let me point out hiding Darth Vader's nephew at his brother-in-law's. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 hi, I don't know where where should we hide this kid? We'll hide him with a relative. <laughs> It'll be fine. No one It'll will be know. fine. He'll hide him with his brother. He'll never think t- where should we put him? We should put him on Darth Vader's home planet of Tatooine. <laughs> He'll never look for him there. It's <laughs> genius. So we have to figure out what other great plans Obi-Wan was up to in the intervening years. Besides being an old kook. Yeah. Besides being a hermit. Yeah. But the future of Star Wars is bright, I think. I I do like – I was encouraged – I'll say it's half bright. <laughs> Well, I will say I was encouraged, more broadly speaking, to learn that they're taking a hiatus after Rise of Skywalker. They're not rushing anything into the pipeline. Um, you know, those first few movies, so Force Awakens and Rogue One, I think, were at, at one point in production at the same time. Or was it Rogue One and Solo? Um, or I can't remember. They were pretty rushed. It took a little bit before they had only one Star Wars movie that was filming at one time. Um and I, I think it's necessary to slow down and, and reconsider. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy said they're going to be convening in about a month for a big meeting where they're going to talk about the future of Star Wars. But she also said that 
at the time of uh, Rogue One's release, I think, and said, you know, they were going to be convening after Rogue One came out and looking at the future. And I think that's where they um, started development. You know, James Mangold was uh, in talks to direct a Boba Fett movie. Uh, Stephen Daldry was in talks to direct the Obi-Wan movie. I think that they had decided to do that. And then after Solo, they were like, uh, never mind. So, so I, I like that they're hitting pause. And I like they're, that they're hitting pause. And I also don't think we need like – I know Disney would love to have a Star Wars movie every year. I don't think we need a Star Wars movie every year. No, it it has it ceased to become special. Star, Star Wars is no longer special. Right. Like, you know, and I'll be, I don't want to see like a – I mean how well – let's see. It was a 10-year hiatus between Rise of the Sith or Revenge of the Sith and Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, I don't need a 10 year hiatus, but like, you know, give it, give it a rest for a little while. Yeah. So I think that'd be fine. Let, let everybody cool off and really settle in on the story that, uh, um, you want to tell. And it's not like star Wars isn't making money for you. If you're not cranking out new movies, because you have the star Wars TV shows, you have the, the theme parks, like star Wars is still generating. That's the thing that the theme park. I think I think people are underestimating that like Galaxy's Edge is the Star Wars movie for the next two years. Basically, it's going to make so much money. What if a Star Wars Wars movie, but you can't get into it? (laughs) Yes, I I delighted in reading that everything uh, everything in Galaxy's Edge is not at eye level. It's slightly above because they anticipate it to be so crowded that you can't see anything. You have to put stuff up higher because there will be so many people around. I mean, it'll be so jam packed with people. Yeah, so if it's you're gonna, gonna be up. it's gonna be fucking intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Galaxy's Edge. Can't wait. Uh, yeah. So I mean, look, the, I would say yeah, the future Star Wars is bright. The, the the dim spot is I'm not a big. I don't think we'll see how Game of Thrones finishes out. I don't have a lot of faith in Benioff and Weiss. I don't think. So far, looking at the arc of Game of Thrones, and uh, I would say a lot of what drew people in was drawn from the books that they did not write. <laughs> and then when they were left to their own devices, they chickened out a lot and went for easier things. And like, ooh, like they forgot what the draw was. And so we'll see how it all comes together. But I think even looking at their tenure, they've made a lot of questionable decisions with Game of Thrones. Uh, and I'm. I'm nervous about what they'll do with Star Wars. Yeah, I have not been. I think their story decisions are inconsistent at best. Yeah, um, and so that's that's kind of what worries me. I'm very curious to see what sort of ending they've landed on for Game of Thrones, and I think that'll. I, I'm still. I mean, I'm still intrigued by um, what a Star Wars movie looks like from them. Clearly, they know how to handle you know a giant ensemble and um, massive timelines and stuff, but. Uh, these are also the guys who pitched a movie of a TV series about slavery in the modern era. Yeah. Isn't that wild? What if now hear me out now? This is what if black people were not treated well today (gasps) (laughs) and HBO's like, here's some money. (laughs) And then they quietly canceled it. They quietly killed it off. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. So, whereas it's a lot easier, again, if you're a Last Jedi fan, like we are, to be like, yeah, Ryan Johnson wants to make Star Wars movies. We're here. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want to do, Ryan. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I assume Knives Out will be a blast when it comes out later this year. Um, and I mean, say what you will about The Last Jedi, but that's a guy who knew exactly what he wanted to do and he did it. Um, and I, I mean, there are so many movies. Just look at Colin Trevorrow. There are so many movies uh, and giant productions that go through rewrites and production issues and reshoots and they're bringing other directors in to finish and he was like nope i have a very clear vision i know exactly what i want to say thematically this entire thing ties together um which is really one of the main reasons i love uh the last jedi so much is that uh it's just so thematically cohesive and sound um so I mean I think that's especially to a producer like Kathleen Kennedy who has to produce. I mean her, she spent her career producing movies and she's been on movies that have been troubled. Um, that's a that's a very positive value in a filmmaker. Um, yeah, someone who you can trust to be like, okay, you know story, you know character, you know theme. You're gonna do well by these characters. Um, you know some decisions may make some fans upset, but you're not gonna ruin the franchise. Yeah, you have a very clear vision. And yeah. we're going to follow that vision through. Yeah. Um, now you can be like, well, what about, you know, uh, Lord and Miller? But I would say that their vision was a lot, was harder to convey because they like to improvise yeah. and find it along the way. And I can see why that made Kathleen Kennedy nervous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that being said, I think she should have just stuck with them anyway, because you're not going to win people over with the, with Ron Howard. No, not, not in 20, not in 2018. The lesson learned in 2018 was just like, just let the director finish it out, no matter how terrible you think it's going to be between Justice League and Solo. Yeah, just just let it finish. Yeah, just let them finish. You can't put a Band-Aid on it and fix it with a new director. Yes, exactly. Um, anything else to say about Star Wars, or do you want to move on to Recently Watched? Uh, no, just that uh, we'll be talking and writing a lot more about Star Wars all year, so... Get ready. Yeah, exactly. But first up, another tease. We're going to be talking episode one in May. Yes, we are going to be talking episode <laughs> one. I'm, I am i don't know about you. Are you going to rewatch all the prequels? I am going to rewatch all the prequels. I'm Maybe we should just do a full prequels. We series. might want to. I think we actually, I would, I think we should do one just on episode one because it's important to talk about the historical context of that movie and yeah. what people were waiting for and what they were excited for and like how big a freaking deal that movie was. And then we can talk about two and three in their own sort of podcast. Let's do it. You just heard the birth of a, the next Collider podcast miniseries. Yes. The prequels. The Star Wars prequels. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. So recently watched. What have you seen lately? Um, so I just moved. So my movies are still uh, in a state of flux. Uh, and my TV watching habits are not back to normal yet. But I have been catching up on The Magicians, uh, which is about to wrap up its uh, fourth season this coming Wednesday. So depending on uh, if you've heard this podcast or not, um, it may be over. It's already been renewed for uh, another season. Uh, I, I've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, this is a book series that I absolutely adore. Um, probably the most satisfying uh, book series I've read since Harry Potter. Uh, and uh, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically Harry Potter with uh, like grad students. So there's a lot more drugs and sex. Um, they go to like a magic school and learn that magic is real, but then it's kind of crossed with um, the Chronicles of Narnia because there's this beloved book series called um, Fillory and Further, which the lead character is obsessed with, and he learns that, oh, actually, Fillory is a place that existed. The guy that wrote the books um, was the neighbor to these children 
who had been going to this faraway land. And so he basically just had them tell him all the stories and wrote them down. Um, but uh, he was also a very bad dude. Um, so the show really brings in a lot of like real world issues like anxiety, uh, mental health, um, you know, uh, um, all, all kinds of different personal, emotional struggles, societal struggles. Um, this season has been an absolute delight. It's just so fun and silly. They're finally allowed to say fuck on sci-fi, so they say fuck a lot in this show. Um, but it never – I mean it, it's just such a lovable cast of characters, and, and they all um, – uh, all the performances are really uh, spectacular. And it feels like it's barreling towards something big this season, so I'm curious to see what happens there. But um, that's basically what I've been watching, and uh, I still love it. So if you haven't caught up with The Magicians, it's all on Netflix. If you're a fan of like fantasy sci-fi shows and uh, stuff that's like a little R-rated, um, something with a little bit of an edge to it um, – Though not like it's not like oh look how edgy I am. It's just very true to life in that you know what would if you were twenty seven years old and you got mad went to a magic school with other twenty seven year olds who all who like had magic. What would the issues and opportunities like? What would you be doing? Um, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's on my to watch list. <laughs> yeah, and to read list. <laughs> um, uh, for me, uh, my recently watched is. Uh, some light viewing, The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> uh, Martin Scorsese's controversial 1988 film, uh, which is not really based on the Gospels. It leads off telling you it's not based on the Gospels. Really what the film is wrestling with is the human side of Jesus and his divine side. Um, and it's a... I watched, I had seen it before in college, but I rewatched it with my wife, who was raised Christian uh, and is Christian. Um and to sort of get her her input on it. And for me, I mean, we both agreed that the production values are very strong, that Martin Scorsese is, is a very talented director. Um, but she made a good point. It's something that sort of stick, stuck with me, is that the film doesn't really... It, it sort of sees sin and temptation as the same thing, um, which I suppose is kind of a Catholic view <laughs> on the whole <laughs> issue. It's, I mean, you have Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader... It, you know, Schroeder wrote the script. It's very Catholic. Um, there's some very Catholic imagery in it. Uh, at one point, Jesus, you know, pulls out his own heart. So it's, I get where it's coming from somewhat, but I think there are things that it does and I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Cause I do think it is a film that is worth watching is that it, because, because it conflates the two, it doesn't really be, show the kind of struggle that it, it need that it that it's aiming for the the kind of temptation that Jesus is wrestling with, which is his desire to run away from, you know, this this divine destiny that he has and this purpose, uh, and the desire, you know, and wanting to just be a normal guy. I think that the film doesn't quite get there, but it's still interesting to watch it try. I would say that in terms of Scorsese's films that deal with Christianity. Uh, I would say silence is the stronger of the two um, because it doesn't have to really deal with Jesus as a character in this, like silence is still about faith, but it doesn't have to, you know, create the the character of Jesus on the screen. Uh, but I still would say last temptation is absolutely worth watching if you haven't seen it. Yeah. The craftsmanship on display in that movie and just the sheer ambition, like, 
it's a crazy movie. Oh, for like, sure. Like I like I'm not saying like the Catholic League or whatever was right to condemn it, but I you understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh I mean even for the um the era in which it was made, and I mean it, it was made in the late 80s but very much as feels like a film from the 70s because Scorsese have been trying to make it for that long. Um it's just so striking. Like you could never you can never get a movie like that made today, I don't think. And even if you could like somehow convince Netflix to do it, I think it would just be – it would just kind of fall away because it's it, too toxic, too uh, too much of a time bomb. Yeah, I would say that you, you can't – I don't see a studio that would be like, yes, I will give you a lot of money to make an incendiary religious film. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just not going to happen. Like the f- – I think the furthest you could go is some with some sort of like nebulous idea of God, like in sort of like a like a Bruce Almighty kind of way where it's like it's God, you know, but this like, you know, agreed upon like, you know, the sort of, you know, non-religious from any religious text God, whereas like the figure of Jesus does X, Y and Z like that would be far more controversial. Yeah. And it's worth noting, even at the time, it was a bomb. Yeah. Like. Box office wise, it was a bomb. Um, I mean, the the reviews I think were, I mean, mostly positive, but still pretty incendiary. So, and the thing is, is Martin Scorsese never really recovered. We don't no. even we don't even really know who he is today. <laughs> yeah, he went on to direct, uh, I think, like Fast and Furious three or something. That was the best he could get. So, I we would all pay so much money <laughs> to see Martin Scorsese's Tokyo Drift. We would all pay all the money we had to see that movie. And I would pay more money to see Martin Scorsese's Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, now I just want to say Martin, Scor- Martin Scorsese's name in front of Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Martin Scorsese's The Fate of the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> just it elevates it, don't you think? <laughs> Martin Scorsese's Fast Five. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So if you enjoy this podcast and Wait, want to listen. one more. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Martin Scorsese's Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so if you want to listen to us giggle over adding Martin Scorsese's name to things, <laughs> you should keep up with this podcast and follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next time.